Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is one of the best times of the year for sports fans. The baseball season is in its final stretch, and the playoffs, well, they're just around the corner. Football season, it's underway. And hockey and basketball, well, they're revving up for another exciting year. And as we transition from baseball to football, this is the perfect time to talk about a great two-sport star, a guy who played baseball and really excelled at football. Next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, the terrific career of Ernie Nevers. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello and welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. And hello to the 2019 football season. I'm sure there are so many of you out there who have been waiting for the new season to start, whether it's pro football or college football. It's a time of year so many yearn for. So what better time than now to transition from baseball to football on Sports Forgotten Heroes? And what better way than to do it by talking about a football Hall of Famer who played Major League Baseball as well, the great Ernie Nevers. Ernie was just a phenomenal athlete, period. He excelled at Everything when it came to sports, but the games he played best were baseball and football. On the diamond, he played three years in the majors for the St. Louis Browns. And on the gridiron, he played for the Duluth Eskimos and the Chicago, now Arizona, Cardinals. Joining us in just a bit will be the familiar voice of Lee Elder, who has joined us previously for discussions on Benny Friedman and Joe Perry. Before we get there, a few reminders for everyone. You can follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Follow on Instagram, Sports Forgotten Heroes. Look for the Sports Forgotten Heroes page on Facebook or check out sportsfh.com where you can listen to past episodes of Sports Forgotten Heroes, learn more about the stars we talk about, read about our guests, find links to the great books they have written, send in suggestions for future episodes, or drop me a line with any questions you might have. Once again, that's sportsfh.com. And of course, we'll dip into the mailbag later on. And for you, at ProFHOF, Canton F, that means you. We'll talk about your tweets at the end of today's show. But first, Ernie Nevers. He actually played Major League Baseball for the St. Louis Browns for three years. 1926, 27, and part of the 1928 season. The second half of the 28th season and 1929, he played for the Mission Reds of the Pacific Coast League. With the Browns, Nevers is most famous for giving up two of Babe Ruth's 60 home runs in 1927. His overall record with the Browns was 6-12 with two saves. He threw six complete games, but never got over the top to become a mainstay and establish himself as a regular member of the Browns' rotation. With Mission, he went 21-19. Again, not extraordinary numbers. At the plate, 
he met with much greater success in the minors than he did in the majors. In fact, his batting average with mission was 335. But Nevers' real accomplishments and the place where he became a legend was the gridiron. And he did so beginning with a team that, believe it or not, is still in existence today, the Duluth Eskimos. And we'll get into all of that in just a bit with today's guest, Lee Elder. Lee, as always, welcome back to Sports Forgotten Heroes. So pleased you could join us once again as we get into the new football season. What could be better than talking to Warren Rogan about the history of sports? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, why don't you remind everyone about the Professional Football Researchers Association? What is it and what is its mission? Well, Warren, it's, as you know, because you're a member, it's the preeminent association of uh, the researchers of the history of the professional football uh, game and the way that the sport uh, evolved and the way that uh, records have been kept. And we have been uh, at the forefront of uh, finding and publicizing and collecting and saving uh, the history of the game. There's a lot of things that we're missing, and some of our researchers have gone and found them. We've got, we've got uh, men that are looking through the complete history of preseason games so that we can have the logbooks for preseason games and box scores and things like that, uh, the history of the game in Canada, uh, the history of the game before the National Football League was ever formed. In fact, at our uh, big convention that's going to be held next year in Canton, Ohio, uh, there's going to be a great deal of talk about the game before the National Football League was founded. So it's, it's a tremendous group of uh, really outstanding researchers, and you're one of them. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. And it is. It's a really cool site. Now we even have the World Football League, not the World League of American Football, but the World Football League even has a little section on the site. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you something. You, you, I learn something every day when I go on that site. So uh, www.profootballresearchers.org and uh, you get right to it. Yes, yes, it, it, it is really a great site, and I encourage everyone to take a visit, and if you like it that much, which you will, you should join up. It's really, really a great site. Okay, let's talk about Ernie Nevers. Now, as I opened up today's show, I talked about his career, a little bit anyway, as a baseball player for the St. Louis Browns, but he really made a name for himself playing for the, and I'm going to call them, the legendary Duluth Eskimos and the Chicago Cardinals. And of course, later on as a coach. Now, as everyone knows, if you're going to be a dual sports star, you've got to be really good, a really good athlete. So let me ask, just how good an athlete was Ernie Nevers. Well, he's the kind of a guy who scored every way you can score in football. He was a major league pitcher, mm -hmm. and he hit well in the majors. He mm -hmm. was not a great hitter, but he was an effective hitter. Well, that's two of the major sports. Both of them require outstanding hand-to-eye coordination. They require great strength. They require great uh, physical conditioning. I don't know what else you can ask of somebody. Ask Bo Jackson how easy it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, uh, well, we know what happened with Bo, and he he was an all-star or an all-pro in both sports, just a phenomenal talent. And, and really, Ernie Nevers sort of paved the way for guys like a Bo Jackson or, or, or a Deion Sanders playing in both sports. Do you know if he preferred one sport over the other, and if so, why? Well, I don't know that he preferred football over baseball, but he had a much longer professional football career than he did sure. a professional baseball career, and he was more successful uh, in professional football than he was professional baseball. He was very successful at the college level in both. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what his favorite was, but I can tell you that his most successful uh, was in football. No doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt. How good was he on the gridiron? Well, in the days that Ernie Nevers played, everybody had to go both ways. They had to play offense. They had to play defense. What we now called special teams, what they called in those days kicking. He had to go 60 minutes. And in on a field full of men who were all going 60 minutes, he was very clearly always the best individual player on the field. I don't know what else you can say about somebody that's, that says that much. You could compare him, I think, to Jim Thorpe. By the time mm-hmm. that, uh, the NFL was founded, Thorpe was a little bit older than Nevers, obviously. But I, I think that you can say the same thing about the two men as athletes. When they were on the field, they were the best man on the field. You know, Lee, as I was doing some research for this episode of Sports Forgotten Heroes, one thing caught my eye that I didn't know. He was such a good athlete that he even signed some sort of professional basketball contract, although I I don't know if he acted upon it. Where did his athletic excellence come from? What kind of upbringing did he have? Well, he was born to immigrant parents. They immigrated from Canada. He was born in Willow River, Minnesota in 1902. So obviously he was born after his parents immigrated. But uh, he went to school in Minnesota. Uh, He had uh, the same kind of warm upbringing that, that a lot of people had in those days. The family eventually moved to Santa Rosa, California, and he finished his high school uh, career. After He did, I think, play one year of high school sports in Minnesota, but then he finished up at Santa Rosa High School. And, in fact, here's a little trivia nugget for you. Okay. He played, he played junior college football at Santa Rosa Junior College. Mm-hmm. So he joins the great Joe Perry on the list of California junior college football players who have been featured on Sports Forgotten Heroes. Wow, you did. You got me. I had no idea. That's awesome. <laughs> now they say I, I have not been able to um I haven't been able to independently uh, make sure that this is accurate, but I am given to understand that in a game against Petaluma College he scored thirty three points in a nineteen twenty one game, four touchdowns, six conversions and a field goal. I've I've got that. It looks to me like it's accurate, but I don't have a box score in a newspaper that tells me that it happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, that's that's the kind of a player he was. And in those days, community college football in California was was no slouch. That was uh, that was that was good football. Sure, sure. And and you know, the fact that he scored thirty three points in the way you said, we're going to get a little more into the fact that he had a habit of scoring all the points for his teams throughout his career. But first, when I do look at his stats, oh, and by the way, not only did he play baseball, not only did he play football, not only did he sign a contract to play professional basketball, he was a pretty darn good track star, too. Well, he's fast enough to be the fastest guy in the field on a football field. It makes sense that he'd be (laughs) a pretty good track star also. You know, he played baseball for the St. Louis Browns, 1926, 27, and 1928. And like you said, he could hit the ball, but he really was a pitcher. And he went 6-12 and for his career. As for football, as we said earlier, he played for the Duluth Eskimos and the Chicago Cardinals. He played a total of only 54 games, and he missed the 1928 season. Why did he miss the 28 season? He pitched in six games with the the Mission Bells of the Pacific Coast League, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which in those days was very high AAA. Mm-hmm. He had an ERA of 3.0, and he was sold by the Browns to the Mission Bells just because it wasn't working for him. He just wasn't doing that well. Sure, sure. He had retired from professional football at that point, 
But once he was out of the major leagues and not making major league money anymore, uh, he returned in the fall of 29 to play for the Cardinals. That's how he went from the, uh, from the Eskimos to the Cardinals. Yeah, I'd also heard that, you know, he he was he got a little banged up. But we'll get into a, a specific injury in just a bit. What was the game of football like when Ernie Nevers played? And I'm talking about the time from, if you can, when he enrolled at Stanford University. Like you said, you know, you played both sides of the ball. There weren't 53-man rosters. What was the what was the game like back then? How did it differ from what we watch today? Well, for one thing, a lot of them didn't wear helmets. <laughs> so it's right there, it's a different game. Primarily, they used a single wing. That was the primary offense. It was assault football, line them all up and crash them into each other. There was some misdirection, and they threw the ball a little bit, but it was primarily a collision-based game. And he played for Pop Warner at Stanford, right. who was one right. of the most innovative coaches in the history of football. And, you know, Stanford, you look at Pop Warner, he coached both Ernie Nevers and Jim Thorpe. So, you know, this is a man who knew how to coach stars. Mm-hmm. And hey, when Nevers played, if you were a star, they found a way to feature you. Uh, you know, Red Grange was a contemporary, and Grange obviously was was um, uh, somebody that they featured. But it was a collision-based game played by men who didn't wear much padding. And, of and course, there were no artificial fields, no. and they did not play indoors. No, absolutely. you're right. And like you said, even the helmets they did put on at some point were leather. They didn't provide a whole lot of protection. I think they mostly kept your hair combed. I think that was their biggest <laughs> contribution to, to the players. You know, you said Pop Warner. Pop Warner called him the football player without fault. I mean, Ernie could do it all. And he did. And he didn't do it against poor competition. In the 1925 Rose Bowl game, Notre Dame played Stanford. Now, that's the team with the four horsemen of Notre Dame yeah. up against Stanford. So if you wanted to, to stretch a point, you could say four horsemen against one horse. Now, Nevers did not score a single point that day. But he and Elmer Layden of Notre Dame were named the players of the game. Uh, Nevers ran for 114 yards that mm-hmm. day, which, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's more than all four of the horsemen combined. You are correct. You are correct. So when you, how good an athlete was he? That's the very best competition you're going to find, the four horsemen of Notre Dame, college football in that era. And he rushed for 114 yards that day and was one of the two players of the game. Not only did he rush for 114 yards – I saw this. I don't know how true it is. Maybe maybe you heard of this as well. Not only did he rush for 114 yards in the 1925 Rose Bowl, but he did so on two broken ankles. Now, I don't know how broken they were. Or they were hairline fractures or whatever. But I heard that he had two injured ankles that were listed as broken. Did you hear anything about that? Injured ankles, yes. And I did, I've, I've read that they were broken. Certainly he had two injured ankles. And, you know, the broken ankle thing is hard to prove. Certainly he did have two injured ankles. Absolutely incredible. So he could run with the ball. He could pass the ball. He could kick it, play defense, and... You sort of compared him earlier um, to Jim Thorpe. What were his real strengths on the field? Where was he used most effectively? What was the best part of Ernie Nevers' game? For me, the best part of his game was as a place kicker. We talk about his rushing and, and everything else that he did on offense. Primarily, he was a rusher, but... Uh, I look at his place kicking, and he must have been a tremendous place kicker because, uh, you know, he scored a lot of points uh, by kicking the ball, conversions, field goals, and uh, also as a punt. Punting was a bigger part of the game, in my personal opinion, than it is today for the simple reason that the game was three yards in a cloud of dust, and a punt covered a lot of distance, and you can make a big difference in a game with a good punt. So, as good as he was on offense and as effective as Ernie Nevers was on defense, 
I believe you could argue that his real contribution to his teams, at least at the college game, was as a kicker. Wow, that's say, that's really saying something for for a part for a part of a game that most people would never even consider, especially when you're talking about a guy who could run the ball like he did. Very few would say, well, geez, the best part of his game was as a kicker. That's that's really saying something. We Well, it's, it's, he was just that good. Yeah, yeah, he was in every facet of the game. I, I want to get into a little bit of the Duluth Eskimos. I guess I'm going to challenge you here a little, Lee. Um, just a little background here. Duluth entered the NFL in 1923, and they folded after the 1927 season. They were basically, from what I gather, a traveling team. They really didn't play often in Duluth, and I'm guessing that's because it wasn't a very easy place to get to, and of course... The late fall and winter were brutal and still are in Duluth, Minnesota. Tell us what you can about the Eskimos, um, a, a team that I think was originally known as the Kellys. What was it like playing for them? What can you tell us about the Duluth Eskimos? Well, before we start with the Eskimos, Warren, here's another little nugget. <laughs> they were not his first professional team. Okay, he now, played a now couple you got of games. Me. Yeah. <laughs> he played a couple of games in Jacksonville, Florida, and there's a lot of argument about how yes. much he was paid. I'm told he was paid $25,000 to play for Jacksonville, but they played against the Chicago Bears, who had Red Grange, uh, and the New York Giants, two games in January uh, of the year after he uh, graduated from college or after he finished at Stanford. Uh, they lost both games, and then the team folded. Mm-hmm. So that was his first professional uh, appearance, the two of them. I'm told that they were called the Jacksonville All-Stars. Uh, I've also read they were called the Jacksonville Stars. Mm-hmm. I think Nevers was their star. <laughs> but in those days, when you had a traveling situation, when you had a team going from game to game to game like the Bears did at that time, uh, they were called the All-Stars to try and make the local guys look better. But uh, Nevers played two games and probably made more money playing for Jacksonville than he did playing for Duluth. As far as playing for Duluth, yeah, they were a traveling team. And the NFL in those years had a, had a number of traveling teams. They would play maybe a game or two in what was called their home city. But, you know, there was a team in Los Angeles that never got west of the Mississippi River, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, they were a traveling team. And that was largely in order to give teams like the Bears, the Giants, the solid teams in the league, home games, but also to cut costs. You didn't want to have to travel all the way to Duluth by train mm-hmm. and then travel all the way back. You, they, they wanted to keep the game pretty much Chicago and parts west. And so um, that was one of the reasons that they had teams like the Eskimos, traveling teams. And uh, nothing wrong with it. It was a, it was a great way to get uh, – get players in and out and, uh, you know, get, get the league going and have plenty of competition. But there were a lot of teams that were primarily traveling teams in those days. Mm-hmm. And not all the games counted towards the NFL or Professional Football Association standings at that time. I mean, I read where in 1926 he played in 29 games. 28 of which were on the road. So, you know, only one game in Duluth. I'd love to know where they played and what that was like. And crazy to think, we talk about playing 60 minutes a game. You know, you had to play all 60 minutes a game. Of course, not everyone would really play all 60 minutes of every single game. But in those 29 games, he played in all but 29 minutes. I mean, his his endurance, his stamina was just incredible. Well, I'm going to make a joke that I make to my son. He was young at that time. So <laughs> that, that helped a little bit. But you're right. He had great endurance. And part of the reason they played so many games, he played in two different leagues. They didn't just play in the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. the AFL was around at that time. Mm-hmm. It was an American mm-hmm. Football League that year. 
And so the Eskimos got themselves in a little bit of trouble playing in two different leagues. They got both leagues mad at them, but um, they did indeed play uh, all those games. And like you say, Nevers played just about every minute. Averages out to about 59 minutes a game, I think. But uh, the endurance that you had to have to be able to do that, because that means a game or two a week. And a game or two a week, Warren, is yes. tough on anybody. Now, I got a little one for you. You could actually trace the Washington Redskins back to the Duluth Eskimos. Wow. That's impressive. So, the Duluth Eskimos and the Washington Redskins. Bear with me for a second. The team was originally founded in 1923 and went by the name of the Kelly Duluths or Duluth Kellys. Kelly was the name of the hardware store that sponsored the team. And as Lee and I discussed, playing in Duluth, well, it wasn't really easy during the fall and winter months. The team reportedly reinvented itself in 1926 after it had lost sponsorship dollars. Nevers, of course, was a part of the team at this point, and he took over as its coach. And by some accounts, the team was actually named Ernie Nevers' Eskimos. This was due in part to the fact that the Eskimos became a real barnstorming team. They only played their first game of 1926 at home, and the rest of their games were played on the road. So, by using Ernie's name, it brought instant recognition to help put fannies in the seats. With Ernie as coach of the Eskimos in 1927, Duluth went 1-8. After the 27 season... The team's owner, Olaf, and I hope I get this right, Hogsrud, couldn't support it financially, and the Eskimos were sold back to the NFL. Interesting side note here. When Hogsrud sold the Eskimos back, he was given the right to purchase a percentage of any future team in the NFL that would call Minnesota home. When the Vikings came along, Hogsrud exercised that option and purchased a 10% stake in the Vikings. As for the Eskimos, they moved to Orange, New Jersey and became the Tornadoes under the ownership of a guy named Edwin Samandi. This after a year's absence from the league. After one season in Orange, they moved across the state and called Newark home. Samandi, however, couldn't meet the financial needs of the team, and once again, the NFL had to take over the franchise. So, for the 1931 season, they moved to Cleveland and played a season there as the Indians and went 2-8. and eight. In 1932, the league found buyers, and the new owners moved the team to Boston and renamed the team Braves, a la the Boston Braves of baseball's National League. And the Braves went 4-4-2. Four, four in the 1933 season, the team was renamed again. Keeping their Indian heritage, they became the Redskins and remained in Boston through the 1936 season. In 1937, the Redskins packed up and moved south to Washington, D.C., where they have remained since. So, to recap, the Eskimos played from 1923 through 1927. They took 1928 off and came back as the Orange Tornadoes in 1929 and went 3-5-4. As the Newark Tornadoes in 1930, they went 1-10-1. In 1931 in Cleveland, as the Indians, they went 2-8. Then it was off to Boston for the 1932 season where they reinvented themselves again, this time as the Braves, and then they changed their name to the Redskins in 1933. And in 1937, they moved on to Washington. And that, folks, is how the Duluth Eskimos still exist today. 
How does a guy from California who played for Stanford end up all the way over in Jacksonville, then Jacksonville, you know, it doesn't work out there, ends up in, of all places, Duluth. I'm not talking Canton. I'm not talking even Providence or any of those early football teams. I'm talking Duluth. How does a guy end up with Duluth? Remember, he was born in Willow River, Minnesota. (laughs) I forgot that. That's the first thing you said. So that does make sense. Yeah, I, you know, there's, we all have home. We all have home we go to, mm-hmm. and that's where he ended up. And there wasn't any draft in those days, so it's not like he was drafted. But mm-hmm. uh, somebody somebody got him there, and and uh, he was trying to play baseball at the same time, and uh, it just worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He left the Browns in 26 to play football, so he left the Browns before the baseball season was over to play for the Eskimos. Mm-hmm. So football was, and if you look back through everything, football must have been his his go to sport, so to speak. You know, right? And you can you can say that since they left, he they were six five and one that first year. Duluth was, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the twenty nine games. I've got my note here. It took me a minute to find it. The record that I have is nineteen seven and three, nineteen wins, seven losses, three ties over those twenty nine games. Is that what you have? Yeah, I mean, it, it was they were not a pushover team by any stretch of the imagination. And we talk about, you know, we were talking about how he he had a habit of scoring all of his team's points. He scored all seven in a victory over Kansas City. Yeah, that was he his first all game. Thirteen. That was yeah, his first he game with all Duluth. thirteen and a loss to the Giants, which means he lost to the Giants twice because he also lost to them in in Florida. Uh, he scored all 10 in a victory over the Canton Bulldogs. He kicked a 45-yard field goal and scored a touchdown and then kicked a conversion, so that's 13 points in their 13-0 victory over Hartford. So, uh, you know, it's he was a wonder. It's It's really hard to describe a player or compare a player from back then to – a player today or in recent memory. Can you paint some sort of a picture for us of who Ernie Nevers was in comparison to someone today? Is that even possible to do? Well, you're comparing apples and oranges because you're comparing eras. But if you take somebody who has multiple skill sets and and just say that they are good at uh, a number of different things in in this one game in the game of professional football it boggles the mind to try and come up with somebody who was among the best place kickers in the league among the best running backs in the league and a good quarterback he threw four touchdown passes in in another game uh, over when they beat Pottsville 27 to nothing in 1927 so he could throw the ball too so mm-hmm. uh, if we really look at it Warren he he has a group of skill sets that is very uncommon even today, except maybe at the high school level where you'll find you know, young players who on their team, they're the best runner, they're the best kicker, they're the best thrower. But you don't see it at levels much above high school anymore. After his days with Duluth, like we said, he, he went back to, to baseball, and then he left baseball and came back to football, to the Chicago Cardinals. And just for everyone listening... It was the Chicago Cardinals who then moved to St. Louis to become the St. Louis Cardinals and then who later moved to Arizona to become the Arizona Cardinals. And, Lee, I got something for you in just a little bit before we talk about the Chicago Cardinals franchise. But first, how did the Cardinals end up with Ernie Nevers? He left baseball. Why did he go to the Cardinals as opposed to any other team? Duluth wasn't around anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was part of it. And he probably wanted more money than some of the other teams would pay. I know that the Bears weren't going to pay big money because Hallis didn't need to. He was winning without paying a lot of money. So, uh, you know, he 
Chicago was not too far from Minneapolis. It's the right part of the country for him. He, you know, he, he liked being in that part of the country, the Midwest, upper Midwest. So uh, that's all I know about it. Mm-hmm. The NFL is celebrating its 100th season. And the first game this season was billed as the game between the league's two oldest rivals, the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. Some said the two oldest teams, but that's really not true. I bet most fans have no clue to the fact that the oldest team in the National Football League is not the Chicago Bears, is not the Green Bay Packers, but it's the Arizona Cardinals. It's crazy to think that if it wasn't for the Cardinals, there might not even be a Bears franchise today because George Hallis needed some help, and the Bidwell family helped George Hallis with players. Otherwise, there might not be a Bears team today. And the other thing that that, uh, you have to remember is the Green Bay Packers, while they are, uh, you could argue they're not as old as the Cardinals, certainly the rivalry between the Bears and the Packers was extraordinarily important because it helped put people in seats. Sure, sure. And the same thing with the rivalry with the Cardinals. It also helped put people in seats, and they didn't have to go very far. They could go to either park. So the Chicago Cardinals came into existence in 1920. The Green Bay Packers came into existence in 1921, and the Chicago Bears started play in 1923. The Cardinals stay in Chicago through the 1959 season before relocating to St. Louis. After the 1987 season, the Cardinals packed up headed west, and moved to Arizona, where they remain, obviously, today. Amazingly, the Cardinals, football's oldest franchise, has won only one championship, 1947, when they beat the Philadelphia Eagles 28-21. The Cardinals returned to the title game in 1948, and this time, the Eagles won 7-0. The Cardinals franchise did not make another appearance in a championship game until 2008. And in that game, which still might be fresh in the minds of football fans everywhere, the Cards lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl 27-23 when Santonio Holmes made that spectacular catch in the end zone with just 35 seconds remaining in the game. As for the Cardinals and Charlie Bidwell bailing out George Hallis and the Bears, Hallis was within less than an hour of losing the team to Dutch Sterneman, who was an old teammate of Hallis, co-owner, and co-coach of the Bears. In 1931, Sterneman had other business interests and proposed a buyout for $38,000, 50% of the team. Hallis needed to come up with the money. Not an easy chore, especially when you consider so many were still feeling the effects of the Great Depression. So Hallis had three associates purchase shares of the team, and Hallis arranged to pay Sterneman in installments. However, if he defaulted on any payment, ownership of the franchise would revert back to Sterneman. When the final payment of $15,000 came due in 1933, Hallis was $15,000 short. Hallis's mother purchased $5,000 worth of stock in the team to help George. Charlie Bidwell, a good friend, also purchased $5,000 of stock in the team and arranged for a $5,000 bank loan for Hallis. This all took place at approximately 
10 after 11 in the morning. If George Hallis didn't have the funds by noon, the team he created would be gone. At that point in time, Bidwell was not the owner of the Cardinals. He was just a good friend, a really good friend of George Hallis. The owner of the team was a guy named Dr. David L. Jones. And in September of 1933, Bidwell bought the Cardinals from Jones. And that meant he had to sell his share of the Bears, which he did. One last note. When the Cardinals won the championship in 1947, it was sort of somber, as Bidwell had passed away just months earlier and never got to experience the elation of seeing his team win the title. So let's get back to Ernie for a second. With the Cardinals, his best game with that team, the Chicago Cardinals, is still a record holder. On November 28, 1929, Ernie Nevers scored all 40 points for the Cardinals in a 40-6 romp over the Bears. That's an NFL record that still stands today, as is the six touchdowns he scored that day. The rest of his four points came from kicking the extra points. What a game. What can you tell us? Well, Warren, I would argue that that Nevers' greatness was actually not spread over just that game. On November 24th, that's four days ahead of the game with the Bears, mm-hmm. he scored all 19 of his team's points against the Dayton Triangles in the mm-hmm. game that they won 19 to nothing. Three touchdowns, one conversion, 19 points. Four days later, this, <laughs> you know the NFL record that you've already talked about, November 28th, when he uh, uh, scored six touchdowns and helped uh, uh, beat the Bears. Now that's 59 points in two games. Now that I don't, I don't see how that could possibly be matched. 40 in one game, maybe 59 over two. That stretches the imagination, but it goes beyond that, Warren, <laughs> because on December 1st. The Eskimos played, are you ready, Benny Friedman and the Giants. You mean, you mean, now, the, you Giants mean the Cardinals? Beat the, Lu- the Cardinals played. I'm sorry, you're absolutely right. 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 Uh, Benny Friedman and the Giants played the Cardinals. You're exactly correct. But Nevers intercepted a pass by Benny Friedman, a future Hall of Famer. He put the ball on the one-yard line with that interception and then scored the touchdown and kicked the conversion. So here we go. How many men can say that not only did they score 59 points spread over two games, he also then, in the third game, intercepted a pass by a future Hall of Famer and scored the touchdown to kick the extra point afterwards. For me, it's the greatest three-game stretch by one man in the history of the National Football League. I don't believe it could possibly be equaled. Well, especially considering it was really done in the matter of one week. You don't even That's get to exactly play right. three games in one week. November 24th through December 1st, 1929. I don't see how it can be matched. All right. Unfortunately, record keeping for the NFL is not like it is today. In fact, it was pretty non-existent. That being said, however, I did find a website that reported Ernie's day as follows. Just six minutes into the game, never scored on a 20-yard run and missed the extra point. Before the first quarter was over, he ran in from five yards, made the extra point, and that gave him 13 points in just one quarter. In the second quarter, Nevers again galloped 20 yards for a touchdown and again made the extra point to give the Cardinals a 20-0 lead over the Bears and, of course, all 20 points have been scored by Ernie Nevers. The site, however, stopped there, and after exhaustive research, I just can't find any other evidence from that game. I'm sure someone out there has the information, and you'll call me on it. Well, please do. I would love to hear more about it. In the second half, Nevers scored another three touchdowns and recorded an additional two extra points in all. 
That's six touchdowns in the game and four extra points for a total of 40 points scored in one football game. Why did he play for such a short period of time? By the way, he is a member of the inaugural class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame 1963 and his 54 games played is the fewest of any inductee. Why did he play so few years? Well, if you take a look at he played 60 minutes, if you take a look at him being the featured back, he was also the man who threw the ball frequently. He was obviously in on the kicking game because he kicked all those field goals, extra points, and he had to punt. My own opinion is that his body just got beaten down, and he got to the point where he just couldn't play anymore. Interesting. The game, like we said, was was a lot different. What else can you tell us about his playing days with the Cardinals? What else stands out to you, Lee? I mean, he had that seven-day stretch where, he, you know, and in, in, in the middle of that seven-day stretch, he scores 40 points in a single game. What was the competition like? He wasn't playing against Patsies. Who were some of his contemporaries back then? Well, he was playing against the Chicago Bears, which then, uh, in my argument also, and now, was the greatest franchise in league history. At this point, they may not be the winningest this season, but certainly the franchise itself is the number one franchise in terms of Hall of Fame members, in terms of championships, in terms of of, of great coaching and Papa Bear and the football family. So he, he beat the Bears doing it. He also beat the New York Giants during that three-day span. And the Giants were a very good team at that point. So you have to say that um, he was playing against the best competition that was out there. Heck, he intercepted Benny Friedman. So, you know, it's uh, it, the game then is different from the game now. Um, and we have to treat it that way. But Nevers was the man on the field. He was a marked man because he is what the other team had. And you had to stop him to win the game. And so the competition was always ready to play him. It's one of those deals where, you know, you've got a target on your back because you're what your team has. And that's always a, a tough situation. And he, doggone, if he didn't rise above it every time, he, he didn't win every game, but he sure, sure scored most of the points. Mm-hmm. What about off the field? What kind of guy was Ernie Nevers? Well, he was not a great coach. He was uh, an outstanding athlete, but as happens frequently with great athletes, they never really become great coaches. Mm-hmm. He coached uh, two small uh, colleges, and he also coached in the NFL, but his teams were not real successful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was happy about that because Nevers was obviously a competitor. But... Um, he was the kind of guy who never really wanted to stop trying. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a, he was a track star in college and he was a, a, uh, competitor, just a pure competitor. And he had to be, uh, to be the type of player that he was. And, you know, when your contemporaries are Red Grange and Jim Thorpe and you stand out, he must be doing something right. And like you said, he didn't have much success as a coach, um, he went 5-6-2 in 1930 with Chicago Cardinals. He followed that with a 5-3 mark in 1931. Do you know why he didn't stay on as coach despite not playing anymore? Well, he wasn't winning. And, you know, if you're not winning, it's not your choice whether you're going to stay on as a coach. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Frequently, if you're not winning, they're going to replace you and find someone in their estimation who might win. And and like I said, he was he was five six and two his first year, five and three his second year with the Cardinals. He's gone. He comes back in nineteen thirty nine. After the Cardinals had gone one and ten, how did the Cardinals coax this guy back into coaching the team? Well, remember he's a competitor, and uh, they needed him, and he remembered his glory days and clearly he's a selling point at that point come see ernie nevers coach come see ernie nevers on the sideline come see ernie nevers that's the that's the sales point so i'm sure that uh, there was some financial remuneration that came his way as hank stram would say 
And uh, hmm. I suspect that he got paid some money. And then there was the experiment with the Chicago Rockets of the All-America Football Conference. What can you tell us about that? He ended up, I guess the AAFC wanted a team in Chicago. You already had these two other teams there. You had the Cardinals and the Bears, and they're trying to grab a share of the market. So was that also a name to put on the team as uh, you know, as a part of the coaching staff to try to put fannies in the seats. What was that all about? In the city of Chicago at that point, if you said, look, we've got Ernie Nevers here. He's going to be part of this program. With his experience, he'll be able to help us. You know, that's a name that you use to sell. And it's interesting that he uh, was a part of the Rocket franchise because, as you know, uh, the Rockets had a uh, NFL Professional Football Hall of Famer on their roster. They just didn't use him much because he fractured a skull during his time there, and that was Elroy Hirsch, who ended up with the Los Angeles Rams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, the the intersection of Hall of Famers just continues. Nevers was around a lot of them, and he was one himself, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was life like for Ernie after his football days were over? Sometimes you just read about these guys, and they, they, it, it's difficult for them to, to assimilate in society without their, their true love, what they were doing for such a, a big portion of their life. What did he do after his days were over? Well, when he passed away, he was back in California. He was in San Rafael. And that's where he died, as a matter of fact. Um, so if, if nothing else, he got out of the cold winter. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're a former athlete, um, and you know this, Warren, because you've talked to so many of them and, and you've studied it so much. When you're a former great, truly great athlete and you're out of the arena, it's just not easy. And this necessarily didn't happen to Nevers, but for many great athletes, when they are no longer um, the the show, when they are no longer in the spotlight, they enjoy it because they get a little bit more peace and quiet. But at the same time, they miss the camaraderie with their with their teammates. They miss the camaraderie with other coaches if they were coaches, and they they miss the game. But I think sometimes they do not miss the. Uh, the overwhelming attention that sometimes get played in your mm-hmm. personal life. Mm-hmm. So I, when he went back to California, uh, yes, he had been a professional baseball player in the uh, Northern California area, but uh, by that time he was maybe not as recognizable as he had been, and it was probably a little bit more peaceful and more quiet for him at that time. You know, you bring up such a good point. I have always... Yeah, it goes to show you what kind of (laughs) what I do in my spare time, Lee. I sit here and wonder sometimes, what do these guys do who disappear from public life and they have all the money in the world? Not that they did back then, but, you know, looking at more recent times as I digress here. What do they do? do uh, you know how much golf are you going to play how much hunting are you going to do it's 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 a rhetorical question it's just it, it's one of those things even old actors and actresses it's like what do you do i mean you're 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 not on your stage anymore it's a crazy thought well in those days they most of the even superstar players any even players of never's quality had jobs after the season, between seasons. That's one of the reasons he played baseball, because he didn't make as much money then uh, comparatively to the economy of the time as they do now. They didn't get wealthy playing these sports. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, you'd read about somebody who might. Red Grange uh, allegedly made some money, and, and Nevers, we think, got that $25,000 for playing in Florida. Mm-hmm. But um, that that's few and far between. Most of them had other jobs during the off season. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly they, they worked. Uh, we're talking about players of, of Never's era. Mm-hmm. Mostly they, they worked all the way through the time when they were athletes. And so uh, when the athlete part of their career ended, they were already working. They were accustomed to doing it. So it was not abnormal for them 
in the feeling of going back to work. It's just that they weren't in the spotlight anymore and they weren't, they weren't pay, playing the game that they loved anymore. And they obviously missed that. So Lee, here's a guy who had a brief and I'm going to call it a brief, but very exciting career as a player. He had a so-so coaching career. When we look back at Ernie Nevers, two more questions do come to mind. One you've sort of answered, but I'm going to ask it again. What made him so special? Well, in again, on a field of players who had to play both ways, he was good at everything. And that is different regardless of what era you're in. If you are good at every part of the game, that makes you stand out. And that's one of the reasons that he was able to score 40 points. He could kick the ball, he could throw the ball, he could run the ball. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the reason he stood out, because he could do all of that. And, you know, we were talking about his brief career, and it did occur to me you could look at Gail Sayers, because Gail Sayers did not play in too many more ball games no. than Ernie Nevers did uh, with, his, with his knee injuries. And uh, if you want to look at a, a shining, a shooting star that flames out, Ernie Nevers might be one and Gail Sayers might be another one. Now, Gail did not kick. He did not punt. He did not throw. Didn't have to. He was too good at running. But uh, the point that I'm making here is that in terms of being a shooting star, uh, people who are um, maybe a little bit more aware of Gail Sayers than they are of Ernie Nevers could think of Sayers as a shooting star the way Nevers was. Mm -hmm. And he only played in 68 games, but, you know, you, you watch those specials on NFL Network and they say when that guy had the ball, it was like he would sprout wings and he was gone. And he would say, I only need 18 inches of daylight. Yeah, exactly. So I did a very unscientific poll before I decided to reach out to you to see if you'd like to talk to me about Ernie Nevers. That unscientific poll was this. I have a lot of friends, a lot of people I know who are big sports fans. And I go, have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? Some would go, yeah. I said, do you know anything about his career? Well, you know, I, 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 he played football. And so I got to thinking, how can the guy who holds the NFL record for most points in a game not be that known? Why is Ernie Nevers so revered in football circles and yet so few fans might not recall him like they do a Red Grange or a Curly Lambeau or a George Hallis or a Jim Thorpe who were also around at the same time as Ernie Nevers. What is it about Ernie Nevers that doesn't make him stand out like those guys? Well, I think you, the first thing you look at is that he played for the Chicago Cardinals, not the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. And he did not do a lot of winning with the Cardinals. And then before that, he played for the Duluth Eskimos and not somebody else, for example, uh, like the New York Giants, where you're in the seat of the newspaper world. Uh, in those days, media was newspapers, and, and they were right in the middle of the biggest newspaper war in the country. There were, I don't know how many newspapers New York had, but had he played for the Giants, Ernie Nevers would have been on the headline of every newspaper in that city, which would have put him in, in front of the forefront of the entire country. Mm -hmm. So you have where he played and who he played for. He did not play on winning teams. So in that regard, he's a little bit like Benny Friedman. Because Friedman did finally play in a major market. He played in New York, but he did not ever win a championship. And you and I talked about this before. That one little fact does end up impacting your career. And then the other thing is that he was not, Nevers was not in a great media market. So he did not have a drum beater. You know, Red Grange did have one. He had C.C. Pyle, a guy who did nothing mm -hmm. except write press releases about Red Grange. And so mm -hmm. he was in Chicago, and he got a great deal of attention. Nevers never had that. Mm. And so I think that that's one of the reasons that he is not revered as perhaps he should be. He just never had enough. He was never in the right place at the right time to get people to pay attention to him. You can score 59 points in two games, but if nobody talks about it, then it's uh, you know it's sort of difficult 
to get attention. Obviously, the people he played with and against understood it because he was in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as quickly as he could have been. So clearly, the men who played against him and therefore knew how great he was, they understood it. Mm -hmm. It's so funny you talk about the media at that time. As we transition from the baseball season to the football season, I think back on a couple of podcasts I did this summer about guys like Hal Trotsky and Ken Williams. And both gentlemen I talked to about Trotsky and Williams said very similar things about Trotsky and Williams that you just said about Ernie Nevers. The fact that Hal Trotsky played for the Cleveland Indians in a market that was not a big market at that time, and he played in the shadows of a Lou Gehrig in New York, a Jimmy Fox in Boston, certainly affected his popularity at that time. And same with Ken Williams. He played in the shadows of the St. Louis Cardinals while he was with the St. Louis Browns. They did not get the media coverage and notoriety that these other big stars got because of who they played for and when they played. If they played today with SportsCenter and Fox Sports and, and the Internet, these guys would all be household names. It would be easier to know them, but it's very interesting that the correlation, St. Louis Browns, Chicago Cardinals, mm. neither one of them were the number one teams even in their own market, and that has a lot to do with it also. Sure. Sure. So, Lee, any final thoughts on Ernie that you would like to share with us? Well, I just think that he really needs to get – he's in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, he's got credit for the the terrific career that he had. But And, Warren, I know that you already know this. The man simply – his shadow is not quite as long as it ought to be because he truly was an, a, a Hall of Fame – caliber great football player who could do it all um and because he isn't as well known that's the reason he's on sports forgotten heroes but ernie nevers was as good as anybody who played in the league during the period that he was there and i think that that's about all you can say and if someone understands it they understand it and if they don't (laughs) Then we'll go on to talk about somebody else. (laughs) Well, Lee, thank you very much for spending some time with me yet again on Sports Forgotten Heroes. I always love having you on. Like I've said before, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to spend some time with me. Warren, this is about as much fun as you can have, and I always enjoy talking to you. This is a great program. I listen to it, and I enjoy talking to you also. Terrific. Thank you, Lee. Ernie Nevers played just 54 games of professional football, but he certainly made his mark. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in its inaugural class in 1963, a class of which you would think it would probably have to be pretty large. Well, it was. He was inducted along with Sammy Baugh, Burt Bell, Joe Carr, Dutch Clark, Red Grange, George Hallis, Mel Hine, Pete Henry, Cal Hubbard, Don Hudson, Curly Lambeau, Tim Mara, George Preston Marshall, Johnny Blood, Bronco Nagurski, and Jim Thorpe. Yes, quite a class. And while he didn't play or coach as long as many of his fellow inductees, he certainly made a big name for himself, even if a majority of football fans had never heard of him. Okay, so today's mailbag. I recently reposted an episode of Sports Forgotten Heroes with Ron McDole. He and I spoke about his terrific career as a defensive lineman with the Buffalo Bills of the AFL and later the Washington Redskins. I mentioned in my tweet that I think McDole is overlooked and deserves consideration for the Hall of Fame at Pro F. 
HOF Canton F said, and I quote, doesn't have strong career profile for a lineman. My response included notes about his three safeties, 14 fumble recoveries, 12 interceptions, and a couple of touchdowns to boot. At Pro F HOF Canton F said that only one time being named first team all pro is not enough for the Hall of Fame. Well, considering there was no record keeping for blocks or sacks, the numbers I have already mentioned and the fact that he was second team all AFL for the decade of the 60s was all pro AFL in 1964 and 1966 and holds the NFL record for most interceptions by a lineman with 12 in addition to his incredible durability having played 251 games starting 240 of those, I definitely think Ron McDole deserves much more consideration than he has received. Keep the tweets and emails coming, and I love the debates. I'd like to thank my guest today, Lee Elder, for once again spending time with us. Lee spoke about the Professional Football Researchers Association and all it does to preserve the history of the game. To learn more about the PFRA, please visit profootballresearchers.org. That's profootballresearchers.org. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to visit with Roger Gordon once again. And this time, we're going to talk about the last coach to lead the Cleveland Browns to an NFL championship, Lanton Collier. That's next time. For now, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.